Today on Chasing Leviathan, we have a slightly different episode. My guest is Dr. Joe Meyer, professor at the University of Albany and host of the Neutral Ground podcast. This episode concludes the first year of Chasing Leviathan, and we take some time to think back over that year and remember just a few of the many things we've learned while podcasting. So please, come have a seat and remember with us. What have you, um, from a principles and practices side of thing, uh, side of things, what have you changed, and what have you has remained the same for you with the neutral ground? The the curiosity has remained the same, in terms of I I come in with some questions pre planned because I think they're important to cover, and being open though at the same time to questions that naturally arise in conversation, right? Like that's something that I always have to be careful about myself because uh, I am somewhat nervous sometimes about making sure that I cover certain aspects to be truthful and to be honest to, you know, for the guest. Um, That has stayed the same though. I still try to mix that up well. What has changed is probably I've gotten better at being comfortable with just mm. letting the questions, the pre-planned questions go. Yes. Uh, because I am uh, somewhat of a meticulous worrier, and I try to plan as much as I can. And, you know, like we were talking about before, it, it's, there are certain times where I've had to, I've looked at my pre-planned questions, and I just went, none of those work anymore. They just don't fit. And the audience knows it. Like, right, right? Like, we have to respect the organic nature of how the audience is experiencing our episodes. And there yeah. are times when, and I'll just admit this, you know, because again, I'm not, I'm not above admitting my mistakes. There are times when I have asked the question and immediately thought, what a stupid question to ask <laughs> at this moment. What a dumb question. Oh, why did you do that? And I'll answer the question of why I did that. It's because there are sometimes these moments where you, you doubt, can I generate a better question in the moment or not? Mm. And so you, you're worrying about the time, you're worrying about the pacing, the chemistry between you and the other person. And then I'll sit there and I'll go, you know what, just go to a, a default question. Now that is something that I have to worry about still and something that I still will make a mistake about. I do. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And I, something I still struggle with coming from the family that I do, and we, we have running family lore, right? Like um, my dad is from New England. My mom is from Florida. And so when my dad met his future father-in-law, he would try to talk to him and he would ask a question. And then he would wait a second and my granddaddy, not surprising in Florida, right? Would not respond right away. He would wait like three or four seconds. So my dad would just keep talking, right? He would, he would wait yeah. like a second. He's like, oh, he must just not think that's an interesting question. And, and, and then 
like my granddaddy couldn't get a word in edgewise, right? He's like sitting there and he's like, why does he keep interrupting me? And so it's like this, <laughs> this friction that kept happening. And the, one of the biggest struggles I have is just being comfortable with silence. Mm. And, uh, and so I often ask, like for me, I'll ask dumb questions, uh, especially early on. It was really bad where I'd be like, uh, you know, like you literally sound like Porky Pig. I was just like, I got, I got to fill it. I got to fill it. I can't let just sit there. Um, and being comfortable just like repeating what someone said and just being like, that's good. You know, like, yeah, it's like I have to add insight. I like, no, no, that this is why, like, I'm having these people on, um, to listen to their insights. Right. And so the idea that uh, letting go of my ego, um, which is, really the whole point of my show right and i still struggle <laughs> like, like i literally can't do it um so that definitely something that i have had to uh, as a kind of a lesson uh, i've learned um what are some lessons that you've learned from your guests particularly about their topics that have just stuck with you what are what are some things that like you you, you find yourself thinking about again or have changed the way that you think um, maybe added like a, a new matrix or like a, another set of toolboxes for your mind on how to deal with the world. Have you had any of those moments? I'm, I mean, I know you have, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, um, so I mean, my, I've, I've made studying literature and, and philosophy my lifelong pursuit. And I've always known intuitively that great stories, great narratives, can have a healing effect on us and can um, inspire us and motivate us to be something great. But, you know, there's always that great divide between science and the humanities, right? As if yes. they always have to be at war, which is absolute nonsense, honestly. It really right. is nonsense on both sides. So with Angus Fletcher, with Dr. Angus Fletcher, when he came on and talked about his book, Wonder Works, and he was like, Here's the neuroscience behind why a certain story will motivate you to be courageous. I was like, wow. Um, yeah, you're taking what is, I think, humanly intuitive, what text and stories can do for us, and you're saying, listen, there's a chemical reaction that's happening here, actually, biologically, in terms of evolution, even. And that is something that has kind of strengthened my love for great literature, for great stories. Um, that's, that was one. The other one was having um, a really interesting conversation with Dr. Dwayne Armitage about uh, the violent sacred, I want to say, I think is his book, uh, which, mm. where he talks about Rene Girard and he talks about Nietzsche. And just having his conversation about the will to power and the way he framed the conversation as a the will to power is something that never ends. There is no end to the will to power, which means if all you are in life is someone who's trying to seek power, guess what? You're never going to stop. And for some mm. reason in that moment, I had read it. You read the words sometimes. Right. But hearing him say that just absolutely shook me to the core because I thought, oh my goodness, there are, because Nietzsche's not wrong, He's not in a lot of ways. Power structures certainly serve a major purpose in humanity. And there are certainly times when we seek power in order to try to, let's say, get to a, an ends of a means, right? Something. Mm. 
The problem is if you don't immediately have an end to what you want, I mean, a hard end, yes. you will continually seek power. And that is something that that conversation really solidified within me to think about, I need to seek power here in this moment for a reason. I also need to have in my mind before I do this an end. And that is something that I got from the conversation that I thought was, was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no lessons for today uh, for politics or anything else for that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I, it, it's been. Uh, it's it's been so good. It's interesting to see, and I'm sure you've had this and I'd love to hear more from you on this. Reoccurring themes from different guests. You know, like I literally had multiple guests in a row who talked about the solution is uh, opening up possibility for people that people struggle seeing possibility for change. And that's because it is there and it is possible. And, and so that happened multiple times. Um, and it kind of started, you know, I had Dr. Richard Kearney on, um, and I had, uh, Dr. Lewis Gordon talked about it. Um, Risa Zalabak, who is, um, on the AI ethics board for IEEE. And uh, just like at the end of the day, like if we, if we're not optimistic about the future that we can change the future and that we can't open up the possibility of change. And it, it was so, um, it was so challenging. And sometimes I didn't even know exactly like Dr. Lewis Gordon, um, I, was, I was getting excited. I started talking too much. And so I, I didn't get to give it the appreciation it deserved, but he talked about how incredible it is um, we were talking about the opening of possibility. He said, and I was like, that's really important for kids. And he said, yes, but it's actually what some of the most inspiring th things you can do as a parent is to open up possibility for yourself and change in front of your kids. And he talked about the time that he had done that for, um, for his daughter, uh, where he, she had challenged him on, uh, she had come out as, uh, I, I believe, uh, queer. I think that was the, the phrase. Um, and so, and she challenged him on some of his, his terminology. And so he went and he read a bunch of books and then he was like using the correct terminology. And, and she was like, dad, like you changed. He's like, yeah, I can do that. Like, you know, and he, that's around, um, it, 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 like the, the, the whole idea of plasticity and like that people can change over time. Uh, even, even into old age, uh, is, uh, not that Dr. Gordon is that old. Um, but you know, <laughs> It's just, it's, it is this, it was this very powerful moment. Um, uh, it, it's interesting to see like those reoccurring things that kept coming up and I, I kept utilizing what previous guests had said as like, uh, like Marisa Zalbeck talked about that. Uh, I, I was like, oh, I just had that conversation. Um, uh, Dr. Lewis Gordon, um, one, one thing that has stuck in my head, um, is his analysis of white privilege. And I think it's just because, um, and I don't know if you, uh, if you heard that, that side of it, but uh, it was so refreshing to have a discussion about racism where I learned something without anyone getting uptight. Mm. Yeah, that's difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it, it was such a, um, but the idea that you could take something like white privilege and he like just so clearly dissected it and provide it like clear thinking that part of the reason we struggle with that term is it is ambiguous and it covers two different things, right? You have 
white license and and i hadn't even thought about this and again it wasn't so later I, I realized some of what he was talking about but like that the people who committed lynching in the 50s and 60s a lot of them are still in nursing homes and nothing nothing ever happened to them you know what I mean? and you like and that that was like so of course like when they talk about getting rid of white privilege this is some white license is is a problem right like this is this is not right like these people literally um posed for newspaper photographs and that that like i'd never thought about the fact those people are still alive today i think part of that is because you know i i'm young enough and stupid enough that i'm like well if it happened before me it's ancient ancient history and it's like no those those people were alive but then on the other side and it, it was always confusing to me he's like there's also white privilege which is just social goods which is just like you're able to feed your family you're able to give uh, access to education. He's like, that's a good thing. You shouldn't ask people to give that up. And the, the two things get covered together under white privilege, but to take them apart was such a great example of just clear thinking, providing solutions. It's like, this is, these social goods are things we should give to everybody, right? Like everyone should have access to education, which I love that he said it like that, right? Like, I mean, you can't, you can't force people to be educated, but, um, and so, uh, and, you know, food, security, those kinds of things. Um, and, and there's obviously like a lot that goes into what uh, what everyone should have access to, what everyone should have. Like, I understand and I have, I have no desire to get into that, but just the the, the clearness of it, like, uh, has come back to me multiple times. I think you have to. You have to have. Here, here's what I'll connect with, with that. Sure. You can't be afraid of the conversations. Yeah, that's something that I think we've done pretty poorly now for maybe forever. I mean, quite honestly, <laughs> for a long time. When so, for for example, I'm not, I'm not a Marxist, but, but there are critiques of capitalism in Marx that we should be taking very seriously. Yeah, and if you are completely anti-Marxism, that's fine. But you still need to take those, those ideas very seriously, and there's no reason to simply run away from those critiques. And the same thing goes with what you were just talking about there, those, those conversations that we have to have about race. It's not so much, it can't just be about uncomfortableness. It can't be about that. It has to be, there are certain things that have to be discussed and that we can't run away from. And all we do by kicking the can down the road is we make it worse progressively yeah. for the next generation. I think in some ways we're, we're thinking about it, because like you said, in terms of history, right? We think of mm. history as being anywhere from a year, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years. But even what is 500 years in, in, terms, of in terms of pure history? It's not that much. It's nothing. It's nothing, really. And so the more we just kind of kick the can down the road, the more we build up, I think, future fights, or we pave the way for future mm. entanglements that we, we could probably deal with right now. Well, it's like writing the three-fifths compromise into the Constitution, and they're like, we'll just push that problem later. And then you look at the catastrophe that the Civil War was in terms of loss of life and destruction, right? I mean... Like, <laughs> It, it, it just, it's just like this festering that you, you, uh, that we leave to our children and to our grandchildren. And, uh, I think that's just really wise. Um, 
Another one that uh, a highlight for me that was just really interesting, and this is, uh, you know, talking about like not mistakes, but it was my first history episode, and it was the history of China, and I wasn't sure how to approach it, and I didn't feel comfortable. And one of the highlights that really stuck out to me, and her name escapes me, um, but she mentioned uh, her work was primarily in imperial sources of identity. And uh, it was just this thunderbolt moment where so many things that I had just taken for granted in my life were relayed bare as like historical processes. <laughs> and uh, and because her pri primarily her work in like in China was that the emperor would literally uh, not he would take requests from the provinces. It had to be in the right dialect and it had to be grammatically correct. If it was grammatically incorrect, he would mark it with red ink and send it back and would not act on it until they sent it back grammatically correct. Wow. And, <laughs> and so, and then she talked about like that happened in Italy, that happened in, in England, in like with English and stuff like this. What happened is everyone's dialect transforms, right? And so everyone, the languages were all slightly different all throughout. And then the people who are in power in order to govern vast distances as a tool would create grammars. And because the grammars were standardized and because they were written down, those became official languages. And then the process over a couple generations were, well, this is just how we're, we talk. This is how we're supposed to talk. Even though that's not how their ancestors talked, it was written down, so it took precedence. Like if anyone argued, they'd be like, well, this is standardized and you're just talking about how your, your auntie talked, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and so all these things, it's like, oh, I'm like, you know, I'm Italian or I'm English or I'm uh, American. You know, I think for the most part, my accent though, it's slowly, you know, my wife laughs at me. Like, I, this is a good example, like devolving, not that like there's anything wrong with this, but I'm becoming more and more Florida man, you know, like <laughs> we, we moved down to Florida. I like, uh, the y'all comes out. Ain't that true? But, <laughs> uh, you know, I lived in the Midwest for nine years. And so there is, you know, uh, that, that accent that is used as a standard that we're like, oh, that's the TV. That's the announcer. That's the, all, all those things. And it just like, it kind of blew my mind. Cause I was like, all these things I think about, like, well, this is the proper way to do things is really an instrument of power. And so it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. It's just like one of those things where it, it, it was just a hidden thing in my life where I was just, this is the way things work, right? This is the way things are. And they, that's the way things should be. And it, it like, just like, well, it doesn't have to be. It wasn't always like this. Like, and, you know, I still like, I, I, again, that was one of those ones where I felt like I could have done so much better in that episode. But even in episodes, and I've dropped some episodes now because uh, I've realized more where I want to go with the show. And, but no matter what, if I listened, you know, and in every case, I think I did, I always learned something from somebody. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to uh, the point that you were making earlier is that everyone has something interesting to say if you listen and if you, you, you work uh, with them. Um, it's probably a, a measure of my own laziness that I have turned more towards academics <laughs> Because they they're more used to talking about what they know, yes, that so is it's true. less it's less work for me. <laughs> so, um, but 
anyways I, well, uh, what um, i would say to that though too is uh you know one of my favorite um is because i you know i have a lot of academics on too but one of my favorite episodes was um with led bradshaw the gentleman who wrote who he authors a comic book with his son and yes, his son yeah. has autism spectrum disorder and mm. What made that episode so wonderful to me was, it's similar to what you were just talking about too, this idea that he, 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 got, the, he got the news about, about the autism spectrum disorder, and immediately he sort of froze and realized, you know what, I don't know anything about this. Mm. And because of that, I don't, I don't know how to interact with my own son. And... He then started doing his research and paying attention and, and talking to people, and he learned about art therapy, and he's a, an amazing illustrator, and he thought, well, you know what? That's something that I can do with my son, and they started this Jake Jet Pulse comic series, which is fantastic, and you know, it, it, absolutely wonderful stuff, but that's not an academic episode but it was just one right. of my favorites it's just such a beautiful episode because you, the the love that you hear in his voice for his son is just undeniable yeah I, and uh I, I think it's those um uh a, a big part of what i've wanted to do with chasing leviathan is the recognition that truth comes from many sources right um so i've had philosophy on uh different people in philosophy on i've had people from history on, um, I had Anna Rubin cam on, um, and she's a, a master stone cutter. That's a great um, one. Great no, episode you, you, for anyone. <laughs> if you haven't seen that one yet, watch that episode. It's a fantastic episode. Uh, so, and that was, I loved that because, and I, and I want to have, I've, you know, it's funny what people see and what they don't see. So I've reached out to like a lot of uh, musicians, but they don't have, they're harder to get a hold of. And so I've wanted to have like musicians on and it just hasn't, that, that hasn't happened yet. So hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. Um, I've had some other authors uh, who I've reached out to, I'm very excited about, but they're currently working on books. So like I literally had one, it's one of my favorite authors. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say his name because he'll probably turn me down after saying he'd come on. But he was literally like, I, it's going to take me a year to write this book. He said, contact me in a year. So I yeah. have it written in my calendar, you know. I mean, he's, he's doing nothing but writing right now. Um, but the emotional connection and the, you know, I, I mentioned earlier about that, the, the importance of the, the spiritual side of things. I had Dr. Balbinder Bogal on and incredible, like I, I learned so much and uh, <laughs> it was so interesting because I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, I called it Sikhism and he's like, well, actually it's Sikhi. The English changed it because they didn't like the way it sounded. You know, like I'm like literally like on the fly finding out these yeah. kind of things. But he um uh so he started off by talking about his journey to becoming a professor in like philosophy of religion. He's been doing um six studies at Hofstra for 15 years. The he's in the, the chair there. And he started off by telling his story of his childhood. And you know, this is a good example of like people don't see what's going on. So like they, they see my, they see my face and like, wow, like people are like, you handled that so well. And inside I was like, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to deal with this. Uh, he was, uh, he, when he was three, his father was, uh, they all, his family moved, uh, from India to, I believe, um, 
Tunisia or Tanzania, I can't remember, but they moved from there to England when he was three and his father was murdered. And then his mom was surrounded by people she didn't know. And she went temporarily insane. And he's, and he said that was part of his journey. He said, I, I sought for God as a, as a way to bring my father back. And it's, it's so profound. And it was, it just moved me. And it's one of those moments I, I wouldn't give up for the world, but it's also, I was like, I don't have anything for this. I don't, you know, like I, my own inadequacy was so clear. Like he was just so vulnerable and I, I appreciated his openness, but it just, the challenge of that and the, and the, uh, everything I can, I can say after that is a platitude, right? Everything I, I can say, you know, to him, or even as I, I'm talking about it now, I, I don't want to fully process that because I don't want to break it down into oh, this little box of how it should be handled. It's, I just look at the, the story of his life and it imparts knowledge to me that isn't just explanatory. Yeah. And that's something really, really incredible. Um, similar, and I, we might have talked about this before, but... Um, I had uh, Terry Tucker on early on, and I've kept that episode up. Um, and he was a cancer survivor, and he's kind of a he was kind of a motivational speaker. Um, and the truth is, like I, I checked recently, but I, I still don't know he might have passed away. When I had him on, he was talking about he was a cancer survivor. When he came on, I didn't realize the cancer had come back. He had months to live, and it was a tremendous episode, but I, I over and over again, like those moments where you, you, I just feel my own inadequacy to deal with, um, just the, the, the vulnerability, but the truth of what this person is going through and the, the rawness of that is just, um, I, I think that's the importance of, uh, that's, there's something special about the, the long form of podcasting. And I don't want to just, I, I think if I can create some distance here, I can say things that are kind of platitudes to, to, to access this. Because the, obviously explanatory dis discourse exists well in podcasting, right? You have an hour to explain something that's better than your 30-second clip. But the way that our society takes 30-second clips of someone telling a story like that, and they just cut it off like this, and then it's just like it's all shock factor, but to sit with it, for an hour, I think is, is an important thing as well to sit with this and to, to feel the, the impact and the weight of another human life and, and the journey and the difficulty of what they've had to overcome and what they are overcoming is just really, um, uh, it's exactly what you're talking about. Just this idea. I can't imagine. Um, and I don't, I don't need to not being able to communicate with my son, right? Having that moment of like, I need to find something else. Um, yeah, I, I think what I love about what you just said too is, so I, I, now I'm going to go philosopher here for a second, but sure, sure. Within, within reason. Um, as, as, a, as a teacher, we get, I get hit with those a lot mm. where we'll be talking about something critical thinking or something like that and the student will tell you something horrible 
about them, about their lives. And I remember for a long time struggling, like what you just said, and thinking of like, okay, uh, for my entire 20s, I read philosophy. I can go Sartre here. I can go Hegel. I can go Nietzsche. I can go Socrates. And the only thing you can do is fall back on humanity. That's it. There is no philosophy that helps in that moment. It's you being there, listening to that person. Mm. That's it. And the philosophy, though, that I was just mentioning, because I just read this, and I hope I don't flub it too much, but I think it's um, in the Critique of Pure Judgment with Kant, he has this line, and this is burned into me right now, where he says something like, I'm going to paraphrase, we, we look at someone's taste and we distrust them for their taste if it's not good. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to something sublime, we distrust their emotions if they cannot see that which is sublime like the rest of us. And I say that because there are these beautiful moments in life that happen sometimes on podcasts, but just in life. Right. There is nothing to be said. There is only all of us, me, you, anyone who's listening. There's only us as human beings experiencing a beautifully sublime moment. And the only thing that you have to do is be there in the moment. That's it. And that is the beauty of these certain moments, like what you were just talking about. There is nothing to be said. You're right. But in that moment, you listened. And you reach the height of humanity. And that's the right thing to do always. <laughs> Did no, I just ruin just, it? <laughs> no, you didn't. No, no. I, I, uh, I, I, anything I could think of, I, I was literally like, you know what? I'm just going to sit in, in with the silence and be comfortable with it for yeah. a second because. Uh, anything that I would have said would have been rushed and would have sucked. So <laughs> I was just like, I'm not, I'm just going to let that, that was great. That was, that was so good. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, I think that's such an example. Uh, it's, it's why I think that we have in, in some ways become kindred spirits. That's why I think our podcast, our podcasts have become intertwined in the way they are is that we have that respect for listening and that respect for presence and that respect for the humanity and other people. And that, that, that we have that commonly shared belief, um, in the, in human dignity. Um, and I think that's just, uh, so important. Um, kind of as, as we, we wrap up here, where do you see, um, the neutral ground podcast going. And I, I, I don't mean that just like, you know, oh, what guests do you have coming on stuff like that? Um, what is the journey that you have been taking personally and where, where do you see that journey taking you? I think I'll expose a little bit of, of my ego here because I think it's important in the beginning. It was a bit about, what guests can I get? What can I, you know, what, uh, what categories of interest can I bring on? 
to talk about that others will be interested in. Where I see this going more and more, and I've started to do this over the past few months, is to just think and trust in my own interest in humanity. And to say, you know what? I, I like that author's book. It's not a, maybe a big selling book, but I think it's profound. And I think it has something that will connect with people on a human level. I don't care if everybody else doesn't know who he, who he is. I'm going to have him on. You know, I had two, two authors recently on, Ashley Finley and, um, oh, of course, uh, Kevin Kraft. And they're phenomenal in what they do, in what they're writing about, because they're connecting in, in ways that I think people need to hear and they don't know it. Ashley with her book about the unconditional love of a father. Yes, yes. And this idea yeah. of, you know what? Even though I'm not a father, I have a great one. Mm. And this idea that fathers need to know there is something heroic built into that concept. If you will but accept it and take it and be proud of it and know you're going to make mistakes, you're going to lose battles, but know that you're, you're fighting a worthy one. There's something that speaks to me, to my mindset, my love of the epic hero as well, to say, that's an important message I want to get out there. And Kevin Kraft talked about this too. He talked about a very um, a difficult relationship in a, in a novel, his novel Momo, about a father and a son and mistakes. And mm. it just spoke to me, I want to get this message out there. I want to do yeah. that. And so being more comfortable with saying, I like that, and I think that that will help people. I'm going to have that person on. That's where I think I need to be. Now, will my, will my anxieties <laughs> take over? And do yeah. I shoot for the stars? And, and you know, maybe, maybe I sent an email to Noam Chomsky. <laughs> maybe I did. <laughs> we'll find out. Nothing wrong with that. You know, Nothing wrong with that. Um, but I mean, I just sent an email to Charles Taylor. So that's, you know, like. <laughs> nice. I like that one. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I and, mean, like, I, I both like, uh, I, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. You were making a point. No, no, no. I'll, I'll just like end, I'll just end with this. And it's not, it's not so much that, that it's, it's not all ego. Like, it's not all mm -hmm. that, like, you know, I think I'm so smart. I should be on, in a conversation with Noam Chomsky. No, no, no. It's not that. It's that I find the work interesting and intriguing. And out of a pure sense of wonder, I want to know, what would I say and what would I hear and what would he say in mm. a room with us together? And that might sound egotistical, but all I can say is I implore people to understand I don't mean it that way. I mean it in a kind of cosmological sense of if I could have that moment, what would that unlock? What would happen? That's yeah. really kind of where it comes out of. And I've been uh, surprised by how little distance there is between, between people and yet how big that distance is, right? Like it, it's, 
uh, you, you look at someone like Noam Chomsky, who's been doing what he does for decades. And, um, and I don't want to downplay his abilities at all, right? Like, he is very intelligent. But it's not like he's unintelligible, right? Like, he's just like on this, he's like transcendent. He's another human being. Um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's such a testament to the human spirit that you have someone who, when someone spends decades honing something, it becomes something special, right? Like, like asking him something is very different from asking someone on the street. And that, that is a, a lifetime of, of a pursuit of a certain type of excellence. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's so funny. One of the things I was just trying to figure out how to get guests, uh, when it, and I, had, uh, I appreciate every single person who came on. Um, and it, it was partly, uh, not partly, it was completely me figuring out what I, I wanted the show to be. And I knew um, what that, I knew what I wanted it to be in principle, but I didn't know what that looked like in practice. And so, uh, but the kind of that revelation moment, well, was like, I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna shoot for the moon. And so I sent, like, I had read Richard Kearney, you know, Dr. Kearney in, in grad school. And I was like, yeah, he'll never come. And then he came, he was like the second professor or the third professor I ever had. And I was like, Oh no, like Dr. Richard Kearney just came on. <laughs> I'm like, uh, wait, <laughs> I just got what I asked for. Oh no. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's been, uh, the way that this has opened doors has been, um, really interesting in terms of like, I've been able to have conversations with people and I have met people who are just incredible. Right. Um, and I think there's obviously these dreams and goals that people think of like with content creation where it's like, Oh, I'd love for this to be my day job and all these things. But the thing, um, and this is a platitude, but I'm just going to try and full force stick it. Right. Like <laughs> what it's doing to me is the most important thing. And I don't want to lose that. So just to echo what you're saying that, that the way that I am changing and I am learning and the people that I am meeting and the the personal journey that that is leading me on uh sounds like it sounds like the worst cliche from every you know it wasn't the destination it was the journey all along you know it's like such a but it's so it, th there's a reason that that is a cliche and it, it's it's crazy how my life has changed and how um I've learned so much about myself and I've learned so much about uh, becoming a better person. And I've been challenged. I mean, it is intense to sit for an hour and listen to someone talk about something that they have studied for decades and are passionate about when it's a, like a big question. Like it's almost always like I, I, my poor wife is constantly bombarded by I'm like, we probably should change this practice. Like we should do something, you know? And I'm like, and she's like, it's like every week because every week I learned something new. And I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't do that, you know. And it, it's such a, oh man, it, it's 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 a crazy thing. Um, what would you say is uh, if you could leave our audience with one thing, as you as you look back on your experience with your podcast, what would it be? I would say don't ever let the experience end when the episode is over. Mm. Something that I, I think I think I've mentioned it somewhere in the podcast. I don't know where, but the idea is I want I want it to be organic listening 
in the sense mm. that if I say something or the guest says something and you feel like you want to interact with it, pause it and, and mm. say it out loud. Say it to, even if it's just you in the room, say it. Because the truth is we think and we clarify our thoughts in, in multiple modes. There's a very yes. big difference between, and you know this from just having to, from podcasting, you learn this really well, actually. There's a very big difference between thinking about a question and then writing the question down, which clarifies something else that you couldn't clarify in the mind, and then saying it out loud and throwing it out into the ether. Those three things are very different. And all three of those can be clarifying processes for your thinking. So if you hear something on one of our shows and you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Stop for a second. Stop. Go ahead and grapple with it. I know that that's anti-everything people tell you, right? Don't ever stop. Don't, you know, listen all the way through to the end. No, no. I'll be the one who says, stop and think about it. Grapple with it. And then when you think you've got it clarified in your mind, say it out loud. And I promise mm. you, you will hear something that doesn't quite work. And then you have to grapple with it again. And yeah. that's the real beauty of all of this is that I get to practice all of those modes of communication constantly. And then I get to clarify myself. What am I? What am I thinking about? And I want people to have that same, that same kind of feeling, that wonderful feeling. And so I encourage people to yell at me to say, what are you talking about? Here's what I think about that. <laughs> I want yeah, you right. to go ahead and do that, you know, that idea yeah. to experience it. Mm. Yes. I, that, that has been, uh, <laughs> I don't want to take away from such a profound message at the end. But it's been really interesting to see uh, as part of advertising, I've put out shorts and the way that like people who respond to the interviews and the people who respond to shorts are profoundly different, right? And that is like uh, that long form meditation and then just processing it is, is so important. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Absolutely. It, it truly is my pleasure. I love it. I'll sit down with you whenever to talk. 